Um, so yes, uh, I wasn't I wasn't planning to give this talk, I must say, but um, think something happened on November the twelfth. I had a stroke, and uh, and yeah, that the experience. I kind of it was a near fatal stroke actually, and uh, that whole experience. I think you know he's not only changing my life now, but I think it will carry on influencing it for quite well forever really. I don't think there's any, you know, there's not, I won't go back, I think, in some ways I will, but in other ways I won't go back to who my shadow was because, you know, one's perspective, you know, my perspective really changed. I mean, one thing, you know, we band around this term impermanence, but actually I just don't think we get it really. And I, did, I thought I got it, but I didn't get it because, you know, th and the stroke showed me that. It's like, you know, when you actually see your, your own kind of, mortality, not as a theory, but as a reality, you know, it's, it's a very, 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 you know, it's, it, it's, an it's a direct experience and it's, it's very, very different from any kind of um, interaction I've had with impermanence before, I think. So that alone was, uh, you know, I was very fortunate, you know, I survived it and, uh, you know, as I'll come on to say, it was almost, I was in and out of that survival for quite for a little bit of time. Um, now, I, d I did think about um, thing, what to say in this talk. I mean, I could talk about what happened, but maybe I will, in addition to what I've already said. Maybe I won't. I think the, the main thing I wanted to, uh, my, my main reference was actually uh, the Pali Canon, the canonical sources of uh, the Buddha's last days, actually. Because I think, um, yeah, so we're celebrating celebrating Parinirvana Day, and uh, I think it's a, a time of a grateful celebration for the example and teaching of the Buddha's life. And for me, the Parinirvana really brings um, home different aspects of the Buddha's life and the way he interacted with people right up until the end. But the, as you know, we celebrate. Um, Three or different. I can't. My memory is not great these days. The three, four, four major Buddhist festivals throughout the year, and the mood for this one, I think, is different. Of, you know, over the years, from that of other festivals that we mark, at least for me anyway, because the real point of commemorating this event, I think, is to focus the mind on the fact of death, whether we like it or not. Um, and one thing I found out is that I just don't want to die. You know, I don't. And uh, and so we're not just reflecting upon the Buddha's death, in inverted commas, which I'll come on to later, but our, but our own mortality. And there's no time when our own mortality is going to hit us. We just don't know. So the mood is sober. Um, not sombre, but reflective and even meditative. meditative. Um, we, we reflect maybe that the, um, the fact of death is present not just on this day, but, but um, not just on this day um, of the year only, but every day of our lives, we just don't know. I didn't know on November the 12th, I cycled to work as usual, I was feeling fine, and then I think I was talking to colleagues and bam, you know, I, you know something happened, I knew something, it was completely out of my control, but bam, I was on the floor, um, and then I was unconscious, and. Uh, 
and you know I don't know anyway and then I then the ambulance and so forth and in a in a wheelchair strapped dribbling you know so I was went from an upright position talking compass mentis uh, with colleagues and bam on the floor unable to move dribbling and so on and so forth so you know there's no way you know it you know, it's just it just came from nowhere so to speak um, so the 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 possibility or the actuality of death is uh, is is present in our lives every day and not just today and the recollection of this fact i think uh, it should or is at least with me now is a is a is a, an intrinsic feature of my daily reflections i mean in a very unhelpful way i'm well um, there's, as I'll come on, if I get time later, there's both a terror, there was a terror aspect uh, of the, you know, seeing into my own mortality, but there's also a liberating aspect as well. Um, so those of you who've lost people, you know, we don't know actually definitively what happens after death, but I certainly do not think that, that is the end. If so, yeah, the physical body goes and uh, the personality might go, but you know, I, as I say, I, I was in and out of the physical plane uh, while while I've stabilised actually, and uh, it wasn't an end. You know, but we've got to be ready, I guess. Um, so anyway, but I, I, we say the Buddha's death. I just wanted to say a few, a few words about that first. But the, so the Buddha attained uh, upon his physical death. We say he attained parinirvana, but we don't actually say that the Buddha died but simply that he attained parinirvana um, because we don't know what happens after death of the physical body nirvana of course means enlightenment, we all know that and pari means supreme, so parinirvana means supreme enlightenment so you might say well, what's the difference between enlightenment and supreme enlightenment what's the difference between the enlightenment when the Buddha was physically alive and when he passed well, there isn't a difference, actually. There's no difference at all in the experience itself. When a Buddha attains nirvana, this is traditionally called nirvana with remainder. So when it says with remainder, it means nirvana, so that with the remainder, with the physical body. So enlightenment is attained within the physical body. Paranirvana, on the other hand, is known as nirvana without remainder. So it's enlightenment without the physical body. And that's the only difference. The only difference between nirvana and paranirvana is the presence of the physical body and the absence of the physical body. Um, the actual experience of nirvana is unchanged. And that's what I mean, this is for me real, real mystery of the mystery of death is also the mystery of life. The mystery of enlightenment is that it survives death, but don't don't know how. We don't know exactly how that's because we don't understand enlightenment until we get there ourselves. So the actual death of the Buddha affected personally. It made, made no difference. I guess it made no difference to him. But what, who it did affect was his unenlightened followers, who still needed the Buddha around. To give them confidence, you know, if they had a quarrel or dispute, they could go to the Buddha, either directly or through some of his disciples, and say, "Look, 
we've got this confusion, can you sort it out? But to his enlightened disciples it made no difference, or followers, it made no difference, because they, they understood that the, well, they, they were enlightened so they could, they could understand. They, they had the confidence that the unenlightened followers didn't. They didn't need the Buddha around, of course. And I find this whole, this, this, this really, this whole area of what is life, what is death, really intriguing. And I think for me, more than any other uh, Buddhist festival, that's, that's, the, that's the kind of question it opens up for me. What is life? What is death? Uh, the, the Buddha was asked a lot, well, what happens to you after death? And often he said, well, you don't understand me when I'm alive, so you won't understand what happens to me when I die. And again, it's like, it's really fascinating. So until we get enlightened, we won't know for sure. So as with any other set festival, we don't celebrate it um, alone, or we're, we're not anyway. We celebrate it with other people, and I think particularly on Paranivana Day, that makes a real difference because we come together. Uh, and like Articate has been reading out, we realise that we're not the only ones affected by death. Other people are. And, uh, and I think that's one of, the, one of the key features of insight in the Buddhist tradition. Uh, you know, re just realising that we're not alone. We're all connected through, through life and through death. And I think in particular this, this festival brings that home. So the Buddha's Paranirvana, I think, at least for me anyway, not only raises question, questions, intriguing questions about the, the mystery of life and death, but it also perhaps inspires to renew our practice. Um, and all that, all that entails, but I think for me particularly uh, meditation, because I think that's where I've most had tastes of, of, uh, you know, of, of what the Buddha might be going on about, um, <coughs> more so than in, in, uh, in distracted everyday life. Um, it was quite interesting, when I, was going, when I was going in and out of the physical plane, one thing which kind of stopped me from staying on the other side, if you like, was the fact that I realised that uh, my life was too untidy, you know. I hadn't said to those people who I need to say to, thank you very much, in particular actually. I hadn't said to people, you know, thank you very much for all you've done for me. And that, I remember that quite vividly, it was like things were flicking around a lot, you know, my life was flicking around and, and uh, what became important was, was the fact that I hadn't you know, I, I, hadn't, I wasn't leaving the life cleanly. I had to say thank you very much to Carver City or Jake, my son, or whoever, for, you know, for what they've done. And that, that was a very significant uh, feature of the experience, actually. So, if nothing else, I would urge you to put all your matters in order. Though, you know, say sorry to the people you need to say sorry to. Say thank you to all the people you need to say thank you to. Because on the other side, it's too late. You know, it's like, as I say, I kind of came back, if you like, and, uh, but it, it became quite apparent to me that it's all too late, you know, you can't say thank you, you can't uh, whatever you need to do, you know, uh, if you go too far on the other side. It's too late, so, you know, make sure everything's in order. I mean, uh, one of the practical things I've done for the first time in my life is made a will, 
for example. You know, before I thought, why bother? You know, I'm healthy, I'm fit, I'm not going to die. How wrong I was. Um, so yeah, I had a very, very strong experience of that. Um, so, uh, how long have we been going? I could, I think, I could actually uh, pull out things from the Mahaparinibbana Sutta, and I might do that, but uh, maybe I should just continue with a bit, a few more reflections. Um, so, as I say, the uh, the the Buddha's death, the, the death, the physical death of the Buddha, probably didn't make much difference to the Buddha and uh, himself, but it, it did actually affect, as death does. Um, people around him, the people who, particularly these, these unenlightened followers. Um, and it's in, quite interesting, the, the last days of the Buddha, it's, uh, the record of the last days of the Buddha is the longest um, section of, of one of the uh, Pali Canons, uh, one of the sections of the Pali Canon called the Diginakaya. It's the, it's the longest sutra, or discourse if you like, in, in the in the Digging Nikaya. And that for me says something already. It's, it's as though the, 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 the Buddha's followers at the time perhaps felt that it was really important to communicate how the Buddha died. It says something about the Buddha himself and about the nature of enlightenment, I think. I think it says a lot about those two um, things. Yeah, so it's a very, very long sutra uh, indeed. Um, there's 34 discourses in this, uh, it's what's called the Diginakaya, and the one which records the last days of the Buddha is called the Mahaparinibbana Paranibbana, uh, Sutta. Um, and it's really interesting, I really recommend that you read it. It's very human, but it's also uh, quite profound actually as well. And it begins in the Vulture's Peak um, Mountain near Magadha, which was sorry, near Magadha, the, the Magadha, the ancient Indian capital, the Magadha capital of, called Rajagar, which is still, which is in the present day India, it's a pilgrimage site. It's very beautiful, if you can get there. Um, so it starts at the Vulture's Peak, and the Buddha discoursing uh, with representatives of the king, or a king of the, the Magadha king, about whether he should wage war uh, in the next province or not. It's just very interesting. So it starts off and the Buddha actually brings peace to what could have been a very nasty and bloody situation. It starts off in Vulture's Peak and then it comes down to the Ganges uh, Valley where the Buddha start, he realises he's going to die. Um, so he goes down to the Ganges Valley and he starts to uh, wonder. He carries on wondering despite, um, we're told, you know, lots and lots of physical pain, um, because he's, he's on a mission, if you like. He's on a mission, which we'll come on to later. And we first learn of the Buddha's impending death in, in the following passage, if I can read it. He says, or the, the, the discourse says, And during the rains, the Buddha was attacked by a severe sickness, with sharp pains, as if he were about to die. But he endured all this mindfully, clearly aware and without complaining. He thought, it is not fitting that I should attain 
final Nibbana without addressing my followers and taking leave of the order of monks. I must hold this disease in check by energy and apply myself to the force of life. He did so and the disease abated. And he goes on to describe his body. He's now um, got past 80. He describes his body to Ananda, his faithful companion. Ananda, I am now old, worn out, venerable, one who has traversed life's path. I have reached the term of life, which is 80. So he's 80. Just as an old cart is made to go by being held together with straps, so my body is kept going by being strapped up. It is only when I withdraw my attention from outward signs and by the cessation of certain feelings enter into concentration of mind that this body knows comfort. So the Buddha is aware, this is 80, and he's aware that his body is failing. It's like a, an old cart strapped together. As well as describing his body in impending death, we also get the first glimpse of the Buddha's priorities. So he realises now he's going to die. So what is his priority? Well, his priority is to ensure, as much as possible, that his followers understand what he's taught, which I think is quite revealing. He, he says, the Buddha thought, it is not fitting that I should attain final Nibbana without addressing my followers and taking leave of the order of monks. I must hold this disease in check by energy and apply myself to the force of life. So he's saying his priority, just before he dies, is to ensure that his followers um, are left without any questions and uh, that they understand the Dharma, the, his teachings. So at the end of his life, after almost 50 years of wandering India, uh, teaching what he, what he discovered for himself, the Buddha had long since taught all that was necessary for anybody to reach this, this, the experience which he had, uh, for, or to, to uh, attain enlightenment. So there's no need for him to give any more teachings. There's no need, he's given them all. But what there is, there's still, he still thinks there's a need that people understand what he's taught. So, as I say, during the last few, uh, during the last period of his life, his physical life, his primary concern was to impress on his followers the necessity of, of uh, putting into practice, putting into practice, not just understand, but putting into practice those very same teachings that he'd been teaching for 50 or so years. Um, and it's very interesting. Um, and in, in one of his final addresses to his, and I think this is a really moving part of the city, in one of his final addresses to, uh, to his monks, his followers at the time who were gathered with him at the time of his death, he gave them an opportunity to question him on any aspect of his teachings. And he said, um, oh, I've lost the page. Anyway.
no. Um, I haven't written down the page. But he just, uh, he says to the gathering, have you got any outstanding questions? And it was, quite, it was traditional in the Buddha's time to ask the question three times. Have you got any understandings? Is there anything you want me to clarify? Silence. And he asked again, silence. And he asked again, silence. Um, so the, 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 the Buddha's followers uh, had no questions. But that was his priority to make sure that they didn't. But it's quite interesting, there's no room for sentimentality in the final days of the Buddha. That, um, there's two central figures in this uh, sutta, the Mahaparinibbana Sutta. There's Ananda, who's been the Buddha's attendant for like 25 years or so, and there's the Buddha. And uh, it's a really interesting, very touching interaction between the two. Um, Ananda struggles to come to terms with the impending death of the Buddha. He really doesn't, you know, he really struggles and uh, he queries, the, he constantly queries the Buddha. What about this? What about that? What about this? What will be, what about this? What do you do when you die? What should we do with your ashes? What should we, what state will the order be in when you die? He's worried as well. And he's, but he's also amazed as well. He keeps expressing his amazement to the Buddha of what the Buddha's actually achieved in his life. Not just gaining enlightenment, but then spending 50 years, you know, um, teaching, wandering the, the Ganges plain and the mountains in India, teaching the, 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 what, what, what he discovered. So, but however, so Ananda's really struggling coming to terms with the Buddha, until eventually he cries. And it's this, and it's recorded like this. And the Venerable Ananda went into his lodging and stood lamenting, leaning on the post, weeping. He'd, really, he'd finally realised that the Buddha was going to die. Alas, he said, I am still a learner with much to do, <clears throat> and the teacher is passing away who was so compassionate to me. So the Ananda is, is weeping because um, he, he's just so grateful to the compassionate Buddha. And, and this, is, this is where the, the uh, discourse carries on. Then the Lord inquired, or the, then the Buddha inquired of the monks where Ananda, Ananda was, and they told him. So he said to a certain monk, go monk, and say to Ananda from me, Friend, Ananda, the teacher summons you. And the Lord said to Ananda, and the Buddha said to Ananda, Enough, Ananda, no sentimentality. Uh, do not weep and wail. Have I not already told you that all things that are pleasant and delightful are changeable, subject to separation and becoming other? So how could it be, Ananda? since whatever is born, become compounded, is subject to decay. How could it be that, I, that it should not pass away? For a long time, Ananda, you have been in the Tathagata's presence, showing loving-kindness in act of body, speech and mind, beneficially, blessedly, wholeheartedly and instinctively. You have achieved much merit, Ananda. Make the effort, and in a short time, you'll be free of the corruptions. So the Buddha was, was kind of, I guess, he was just saying to Ananda, 
um, no, don't weep. There's still work for you to be done. Just do a little bit more work and you too will uh, attain alignment. And again, it's something which I find very, very moving in, the, uh, in this sutta. Although it might come, might come across as not being very um, center, you know, kind, uh, the Buddha actually was being kind to Aranda. He was encouraging to take the last few steps to enlightenment. And then the Buddha goes on to praise Ananda to the monks. He's, the Buddha is clearly appreciative of all that Ananda's done for him for the last 25 years or so. But one of the, it's interesting in, in this Mahaparinibbana Sutta, one of the, 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 the Buddha gives no unique teachings. Okay? He doesn't give one last profound, esoteric, wonderful teaching. He just keeps repeating what he's already said. And in particular, he, he, uh, he repeats the Noble Eightfold Path. He refers again and again to the Four Noble Truths. But he refers most oftenly, uh, mo most frequently in this, um, to, the, to, the, to the Threefold Path. He keeps coming back to the Threefold Path uh, of ethics, meditation and wisdom. Ethics, meditation, wisdom. He keeps coming back to this one key teaching and he says this is morality this is concentration this is wisdom concentration when imbued with morality brings great fruit great profit wisdom when imbued with concentration brings great fruit and profit the mind imbued with wisdom becomes completely free from the corruptions that is from the corruptions of sensuality of becoming of false views and of ignorance. So the Buddha, that is one of, that is um, a paragraph which he keeps repeating, he keeps um, coming back to ethics, meditation, wisdom. Ethics, meditation, wisdom. And I think uh, finally, the, my last point about the Mahaparinibbana Sutta is that I think, as I said, I think at the beginning, the Sutta for me epitomizes the Buddha's teaching. You know, what did he prioritise? He prioritised his teachings and making sure that people un uh, understood and, <clears throat> and were able to practise them as much as possible. There was no kind of self-reference, oh, get me to hospital or, or whatever. There was an acceptance, there was a kind of serenity and uh, sovereignty about his, his, his passing. Now, I, obviously I wasn't there, but uh, I'm just picking this up from the, uh, from the literatures. There's kind of um, no lingering inclination of self-preservation and continuance. The Buddha said, no, I am going to die. Um, that's, so the, the most important thing I can do in my last days is to make sure people understand what I've been teaching. So he died with serenity. And uh, it's interesting, he didn't want his followers to get mixed up or caught up in, in, in what to do with his ashes. He said, leave the details of my funeral to, uh, to the lay people. They will look after my funeral. You just go on, go, get off and, um, and continue with your practice. And his final words were very simple. Again, not a profound teaching. He said, now monks, I declare to you, all conditioned things are of a nature's decay. Strive on untiringly. Um, another 
translation of that is with mindfulness strive on. Again, no fancy, profound teaching, just a, an encouragement to keep going with uh, mindfulness. So I think um, moving away from the Pranibbana, there's now a few reflections. So you can, I think you can probably see that death in Buddhism is very central. Um, we could even say that both, uh, sorry, Buddhism is a path uh, is a path to death and beyond it because the Buddha claimed that the experience of, of enlightenment is beyond birth and death and it was the experience of you know seeing that him and his loved ones were subject to death it was too much for him to, to bear that spurred him on to, to find an answer um, to, the, to, the, to the mystery of life and death so death is very very central and key in Buddhism and it's very key in our lives as well. Well, it certainly is in mine now. It's like, well, I don't want to, I know, you know, I know there's nothing to fear from death now, but um, nevertheless, I still don't want to go. Yeah, because there's so much I'm attached to, you know. There's so much I, I want to, um, I want to be around in 20 years time when, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the, uh, the, we completely understand the workings of a cell, for example. You know, I want to be around, you know, when that happens. Um, but anyway, I won't. Probably. So, yeah, the, 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 the fact of death struck the Buddha to be very, 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 very keenly. The inevitability of death. Was it all of just, was life just a meaningless stream of fleeting events leading nowhere? You, bore, you get born and then in the Buddha's time you plough the fields probably and then you get old and you, you die. Was there, was it just a stream of fleeting events or was there, was leading nowhere other than decay and death, the Buddha to be asked himself? If so, why do I feel in my heart there is, there is something beyond life and death? There is something to life more than what is presently in my current life. And it's quite, again, uh, very, very interesting questions are, uh, circle around this, um, this whole area of, of mortality. And of course, the Buddha, as I say, he, he was spurred on by the, uh, the pain of death of himself, but also his loved ones. And, and, and he says at the end, uh, upon his enlightenment, he saw through, he... he he experienced something which was beyond cycles of birth and death. Um, that is a huge topic in itself, but I'll just leave you with that one. He said it was a deathless state. It's not born or destroyed. It has no beginning, it has no end. It just is. Just is. But I will say that there can be a very, very unhealthy or there can be an unhealthy and morbid fascination with death. And we have to be careful, we have to be clear that recollection of death as a, as, as a meditation, and there are plenty of them in Buddhism, or reflection practice, bears no relation to anything like an unwholesome or gloomy mental state. Um, it's not about that, or mental habit. We, we reflect upon death. By reflect upon death, we reflect upon life, I think. And we're trying to go beyond death but um so
So, so reflections on death are undertaken, at least in the Buddhist tradition, on a very strong foundation of awareness and, positivity and positive emotion. Because unless we have that, we'll get blown out of the water. And I know that from my own you know, personal experience you know, of what happened. I was to say, there was the sheer terror of, uh, of dying, but also there was the kind of liberation as well. Um, so I, I think... How long have we got? 45 minutes? Okay. Okay, just a few few points, um, reflections to, to wind up with. Um, one thing I really, really experienced uh, during the stroke was that I had an, uh, a confidence in who I was and my place in the world. And all of that dissolved. All that went. Um, it was pulled from under my feet. And, uh, and this background confidence, I realised, um, yes, it was very helpful in, in helping me in everyday life, but it also, it, it shielded me from, uh, from a deeper reality, if you like, a, a kind of a deeper truth, to put it in, in, those, in those terms. So yeah, this kind of background confidence kind of just got ripped from under my feet and, uh, and I remember getting really, really terrified. I thought, there's nothing at all that I can cling on to in this process. But once I realised that, I kind of let go and said, okay, whatever happens is going to happen. And I realised that what was the only thing which really kind of supported me through this whole process was a kind of a confidence which had been built up in my years of practice, that I had a confidence in, uh, in the Buddhist teachings, uh, in, in, in the basic teaching of, of conditioned co-production, that things arise and fall, and that's all there is. So once I kind of let go of wanting to, to keep hold of me and my place in the world, everything was fine, actually. I just let, and I realised how important... Um, um, that kind of shraddha was in that whole process, that conference was in that process. Because, at, at, you know, as I say, my basic confidence in myself and my place in the world was utterly shattered. Um, so, yeah, I think one thing which I'm really grateful for is that I realised that my Buddhist practice gives me a context of both life and death. And, you know, when death actually does come, I think it will, be, it, will, it will provide a context of that, as well as for my life. And I, I hadn't really appreciated that, obviously I, didn't, I hadn't appreciated that before, but it's kind of given me a spur to just carry on practicing, um, to, to deepen that context, for, for, to, to support whatever happens after death. Um, and I just realised how, how, as I say, how tightly I was clinging on to Mahashraddha and who he was and the, and the place in the world. But as soon as I let go of that, everything was absolutely fine. There was no problem. There was no, you know, the terror of, the, of whatever was happening to me was due to me not wanting to relinquish um, Mahashraddha.
I, I just didn't want to relinquish the known. But as soon as I let go and said, well, actually, I'm not in control here, so just let go, everything was absolutely fine. And uh, I won't say what happened next, but it was all very, very interesting. Um, so I think that's all, I, all I've got to say. Well, apart from meditation, I think uh, I was thinking about it. Um, the, the experiences I had during the stroke, which was near fatal, I think they closely allied the experiences I had in meditation. So uh, it's like in, it's some, in the absorbed meditation, the, the sense of self or it can become very, very attenuated. And we can kind of enter into a new kind of experience, a new kind of quality of consciousness. So I would just encourage you to, uh, to uh, just keep meditating and, uh, and deep in that context which we've got you know, in, 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 in Buddhist practice for living and for dying. Um, And that's, that's all I have to say. I um, yeah, just encourage you. And just remember the Buddha's last words. Uh, all conditioned things are subject to decay with mindfulness. Strive on. That's it. Thank you.